We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. We're live again on YouTube. Sam, you ready to go? Yeah. All right. We had a couple more ideas. We've just been talking about all sorts of NFL draft stuff all week. Monday's pod, we did a little mock draft. Yesterday, we got into some of the crazy draft theories we've been hearing and gave our take on those. Today, uh, there was an article in Sports Illustrated, Connor Orr, and he said the most interesting people. It was a list of the most interesting people of the NFL draft. I like that as an idea. I called it the most important people of the NFL draft. So like, where are the, the, the people that are going to influence how we think about the 2021 draft the most? So that's what we'll talk about. Plus, I think a little retrospective look back to the last five drafts, the most important event of the last five drafts. I think looking back, it will be great. So ready to go? Yep, let's go. You're so excited for this. Mm. Mm. We had a couple time changes throughout the day. I had to shuffle things around and dragged you, dragged you down here. Yeah. Did I drag you out of bed? It's 11 o'clock. No, not out of bed. Just, you know, disrupted my day. I did disrupt your day. Sorry about that. So thanks to everybody for tuning in live. Let's get into it. So the most important people in the NFL draft can be a player, can be a coach. We can go back and forth with our own. But I want to start with Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, every quarterback, of course, is important. But when you talk about a guy that's known as generational – like what does Trevor Lawrence have to do to be, you know, to live up to the hype here? Yeah, I mean, even Trevor Lawrence has the potential to completely change a down in the doldrums franchise. You know, Jacksonville, by and large, have been pretty bad for a long period of time. I know they went to the um, the AFC Championship game not that long ago. Um, that 2017 team was very, very good, but it lasted very short period of time and either side of it was bad like it, it went from being very bad quickly assembled something that looked like you could achieve something and then very quickly disintegrated and has been bad since um and jacksonville just generally is not this marquee franchise that everybody when you hold up the sort of the pinnacles and the the teams that everybody wants to play for or that everybody expects to be good jacksonville is not one of them Trevor Lawrence could change all of that in an instant if he is as good as build in many places. You know, if he is, Andrew Luck did a similar thing for the Colts in terms of being capable of dragging not great rosters to the playoffs multiple times. Now, obviously, the, the Colts were good before Andrew Luck got there. 
um, at least you know a year previously rather than the immediate year. But Trevor Lawrence, if he's that good, could be good enough to make Jacksonville a perennial playoff team just by his presence being there. Yeah, I think looking, I want to look through some of those, like the range of outcomes for Trevor Lawrence because, look, Patrick Mahomes stepped in, sat out a year, played one game in 2017, but then in 2018 wins the MVP and becomes probably the best quarterback in the NFL right now for, for the last three years. I don't know. Does Trevor Lawrence have to do that? I doubt it. But if he's at Deshaun Watson's level or Andrew Luck's level, I do think those are reasonable expectations. And I also think those expectations might be too too low for the way he's been hyped up. You know, I, I think people might feel like that's a disappointment. Um because Andrew Luck, look, he, he carried some not-so-good Colts teams early in his career, but we went through his grades. I'll go through them in a minute. We went through his grades. He didn't really grade well until his fifth year in the league. Uh, he had bouts where, you know, again, he, would, he could throw the ball down the field, Luck, and he turned, too much, turned it over a little bit too many times, but he did some nice things. Deshaun Watson was a guy whose stats were a little bit better than his grades early on, but he got better and better, and then, you know, last year was the number three quarterback in the NFL. Is it fair that Lawrence could just step in and be a pretty good quarterback to good quarterback and then eventually takes his spot as a top three quarterback? Or is that going to feel four years from now like a disappointment? No, because you're also battling against perception. Like when you have a guy that's touted as much as Trevor Lawrence is and Andrew Luck was, the first hint of them being halfway decent is confirmation bias. It's like, ah, oh, there it is. Andrew Luck's amazing. He's he's great. Andrew Luck was hailed as this great, successful quarterback way before he ever actually was. Um, and us looking through our lens of grading every single play, you're like, well, it took him a while to really get going and hit his stride. But the hype was there way before that. Like, people had decided he'd made it well before he actually had. Same with Deshaun Watson. It's like immediately, like, first game, puts up some great numbers and went on that run of great statistical success. Uh, before he actually matched it with the rest of his play. But the second you give the stats or the just the inkling, there's going to be plenty of people telling you that he's arrived. So Trevor Lawrence, even if he doesn't play amazingly, if he shows enough or if he flashes or if he you know just gets himself into anything like that kind of conversation, it won't feel like a letdown because everybody will be claiming it as something greater than it actually is yeah just for perspective again Andrew Luck kicks off his career with a 67 grade then he gets into the high 70s that's very good that's green 77 79 in 2013 and 14 those were times you know he leads his team to the AFC championship in 2014 and again we were he was working behind a not so great offensive line a pretty good group of playmakers and a defense that really wasn't all that good for much of his time in Indianapolis 2015 was just a blip of horrible for Luck and then he finishes, finished his career with 2016, 90.4. 2017, misses it because of injury. And then he, in 2018, 91.2 grade. So it really took luck. Even though the stats weren't incredible in 2016 and 18, it, from a throw-by-throw -throw standpoint, it took him until 2016 to really be that guy. And then, you know, again, Deshaun Watson, I know he's dealing with all, all the – off-field off issues, I'm just talking about from an on-field standpoint what uh, Deshaun Watson has been on the field. 68 grade, very similar to Andrew Luck in year one, even though the stats were awesome for Watson. It was only 460 snaps. The, the stats were good, but we said, look, you know, hold it on a little bit. He, he played okay. 
Um, and then an 80 grade, an 82 grade, that's similar to Locke, crept his way up. And then by year four, he was a 92.5 Watson. So um, I could see that being Trevor Lawrence's path, right? And if he does that, that is an improvement for the Jags, right? I mean, it, it's, it might not be a better, it's, it's similar to how Gardner Minshew graded as a rookie, but I think Trevor Lawrence is going to bring that downfield ability, the big, the, the, the big play ability in the passing game, and the Jaguars need to t- uh, to tap into that. So I do expect Lawrence to hit the ground running, but not as a top five quarterback right away. Sure. So that's all. That's fair. Fair expectations. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're expecting any quarterback to come in and be a top five quarterback right away, that's like, even for a generational prospect that is above and beyond. You get. It's very difficult when you start talking about generational quarterbacks because inherently you're going back generations every time you do it and you know we we know that you can't statistically or even just it's not like for like so maybe we can go back as far as Andrew Luck and have an even playing field in terms of expectations you can't really go back to Peyton Manning I mean that 98 it's a different world so Peyton Manning played set the rookie interception record probably wasn't good year one took him a while to get going but who knows if Peyton Manning in today's NFL would actually hit the ground running you know if he would not set the interception record if you would look cool calm and poise and you know put up Justin Herbert like numbers instead it the game I think is too different even going back to 98 let alone you know Elway or whatever you have to go back to before that so yeah I think if you're expecting a quarterback even one as hyped as Lawrence to be a top five guy right off the bat you're probably crazy and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow both graded mid to high 70s last year very good rookie grades I mean if you see that from Lawrence I I think that's if, if yeah. he looks just like Justin Herbert last year, who I think exceeded our expectations, played really well. I think you'd be fine with that. Yeah, if you're I mean, Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, th- that that those kinds of seasons, year one, would be what you would expect. I think from Lawrence. All right. Uh, so, do you have an do you have an answer for this? Like, who is the most important person? For however you want to define that, you know, who are we going to be talking about? after the draft the most who's got the most on the line or who is going to make the decision that is most important do you have a guy well I think the biggest decision in the draft is what the 49ers are going to do at number three they're the team that have traded up the the two first round picks plus their number 12 to get to number three for the decision that they have on a quarterback and that I think Trevor Lawrence is a a no-brainer as the process has gone on Zach uh, Wilson has become a no-brainer. The question becomes number three. You know, the the thing people say, the draft starts at number three. That's the one we don't know yet. So that decision, whether it's Kyle Shanahan, whether it's uh, John Lynch, whether it's whatever meeting of the minds those two have, that's the biggest decision in the draft. So whoever ultimately makes that call is, I guess, the most important person in the draft. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Shanahan. I, there was a point, and, and this doesn't – sometimes it disappoints – when you look at a great mind, and I think we get to get into their mind, right? When Chip Kelly, friend of the show, when Chip Kelly took over the personnel duties in Philadelphia, right, 2015, I was just, I could not wait to see what the moves he was going to make. Now, it turns out they weren't very good, but I couldn't wait to see the moves he was going to make because you had this innovative coach who had turned around multiple programs in college and goes to the NFL and turned Nick Foles into a 27-touchdown, two-interception guy in 2013, and the offense took the league by storm. 
eventually the league caught up to it, but I couldn't wait to get into what does Chip Kelly value? How is he going to evaluate players? I think the same thing about Bill Belichick, and I think we're he's on this list. But now we get that with with Kyle Shanahan, right? Kyle Shanahan, yeah, we, we saw it a little bit. They traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think that was, you know, they were, they were surveying the league, and they said, okay, this is our best option. This is a very good backup. The time is right. Let's strike. He, They are making a power move to get to number three, and we get to get into Kyle Shanahan's mind, a guy who has tin-cupped his offense, as mm. you said, made it as viable as possible. He thinks he's going to take it to the next level, and it's either going to be with a rookie contract quarterback like Mac Jones who's similar to a Jimmy Garoppolo or he's just going to go, he's like, man, I need this running threat as part of my offense, and I cannot wait to see what that decision is from Shanahan. Well, that's the thing. It, it, it isn't just a, a decision about what quarterback he likes the most. It is a, a strong statement that he thinks whoever it is he's going to pick is a really huge upgrade because they've traded so much to make it happen. You know, we were saying earlier in the offseason before all this came up that, hey, look – Jimmy Garoppolo has been reasonable for them when he's been playing. The biggest issue is that he hasn't played that much. And for that reason alone, they should at least have their eye out on potential alternatives. And if one, if they stumble into one, you know, if one of these quarterbacks slipped to number 12 and they loved him, then sure. Um, they haven't done that. They've said, all right, to hell with this. We are trading three picks to go up and get the third quarterback taken in this draft. So it's it's a uh, a coach who right now is being hailed as one of the best offensive minds in the game making a statement to the tune of three first round picks that this guy will provide that much of an upgrade over what we've had at the position um going forward now you can say all right Jimmy Garoppolo isn't actually the baseline of what they've had at the position because they had to you know muddle through last year with Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and just having a guy that's going to be healthy is actually what they're chasing for. Um, but it's still, it's a, it's a really strong statement from Shanahan and Lynch about whatever quarterback they end up coming away with. And I keep going back to Kyle Shanahan's history. He had Matt Schaub, made him look good. He made Rex Grossman look reasonable in Washington for a little bit. He, I, I, I didn't say he made him good. But there was a stretch where Brian Hoyer, he had about eight, eight or nine really good games with the Cleveland Browns yeah. under Kyle Shanahan. He had RG3 in Washington. He had Kirk Cousins in Washington. So when RG3 tore it up in 2012, it was with the run game and play action. Kirk Cousins took over. Shanahan had him for a little bit playing pretty well. He had, and then he had Matt Ryan. And again, the two peaks in all of this were Matt Ryan's MVP season and RG3 as a runner. And I just want to know, does Kyle Shanahan, I assume he's going back and saying, okay, that's when my offense was had the most flexibility, say. I had a top eight quarterback in Matt Ryan, or I had a run threat that I had never had before with a Matt Schaub or with Cousins or whatever. And I just, does he see Matt Ryan? He must have to see Matt Ryan in Mac Jones if Mac Jones is the pick. Without a Julio Jones to go along with him. True, I mean, right. the, the offense was very different in that Atlanta time it was way more aggressive down the field because you had a Julio Jones. Um, you know, this Matt Ryan to Julio Jones connection could be way more aggressive. Now, who is that in the 49ers receiving room right now? The only guy that would even have the skill set, I think, to attempt that kind of pivot in terms of role is Brandon Ayuk, who I think does have the size, the athleticism, the speed, 
to get vertical and to scare teams, but like nobody else in the group can even do that. Like Debo Samuel can't become that type of threat. That's just not his game. Yeah, and I think I think Shanahan's reserved to say, look, we're not going to be resigned to say we're not going to have a Julio. And I think he looked at they supposedly Ayuk was what their number one or two receiver on the board last year. Take that for what it's worth. We'll text Bobby about it. Take that for what it's worth. But they've just they've built incredible play in space type of players, right? With Ayuk, with Samuel. Then you have George. I mean, George Kittle's more of their Julio Jones in this particular offense. If right. you're talking about the guy that you need to stop, it's George Kittle. But those are three really difficult players to stop. And then of course we know the Shanahan history is all about the run game and outside zone. And then they. In 2019, when they made it to the Super Bowl, they started running more gap scheme. They took, and this is why I think it has to be one of those running uh, athletic quarterbacks. In 2019, when they go to the Super Bowl, they evolved their run game. Jet sweeps left and right, more gap scheme. They took that to the next level. That entire division is making moves. It's Goff to Stafford. It's the Cardinals going from Rosen to Kyler Murray a couple years ago and adding J.J. Watt. Seattle's doing whatever Seattle's doing. But the Niners feel like they have to keep moving forward and I don't see them seeing Mac Jones as a move forward move I see that them thinking Trey Lance or Justin Fields is going to take this offense to the next level yeah I mean I think the critical part of a Trey Lance or Justin Fields is that they bring an extra dimension to the offense without you having to add anything else Mac Jones doesn't bring an extra dimension to the offense unless you are prepared to change something and have a receiver on the other end of what he's going to do so I can picture a world where Mac Jones is a better uh, passing quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo and potentially gives you some more options or places to go with the ball and you bring back shades of that Matt Ryan MVP season. But you need the Julio. You need something at the other end. And unless you think that Brandon Ayuk can be that guy, not only do you need a Mac Jones, but you need to bring in a receiver that can do that and, and match that part of it. I don't think what they have right now can lead – to that Matt Ryan season without an, an extra addition. So you have to you have to pick the quarterback and then pick something else for him to or to maximize his ability. With a Justin Fields, potentially all you need to do is pick the quarterback and now you just have this extra world of things that you can do on offense. Yeah, I like I, I like Justin Fields, man. I like him at number three for Shanahan and the 49ers. <laughs> we'll get into some more of the important people. I have to remind you guys that uh, draft night all weekend we're going to be here live streaming from pff.com it's the pff draft show featuring uh most importantly sam and i but also chris collinsworth and maybe some guest appearances from richard sherman and al michaels and all of our other draft analysts mike renner who's been studying this draft class for over a year now so it's going to be great all weekend on pff.com we're also giving away i can't believe this 50 draft guides there's a tweet out there. Go go to the main PFF Twitter account. There's a tweet out there, and it's if you retweet it and follow, you can win one of 50 free draft guides. Uh, if you don't win the draft guide, we do have a great deal going on right now with our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Fantasy football, it's best ball. You go to Underdog Fantasy, you put $10 in. That's it, 10 bucks. Use the promo code PFF, and you'll get a free PFF Edge annual subscription, which does feature the draft guide which has over 300 player profiles. All right, other important people in the draft. Bill Belichick, who we mentioned earlier. Last year at this time, or after the draft, or during the, before the draft, I thought they might unveil their strategy for a quarterback. They didn't at all. Mm. They didn't take mm. a quarterback last year. In fact, 
it was just a classic Patriots draft. Traded down, picked up a safety first, Kyle Duggar. They did trade up twice, but it was in the third round to get two tight ends. But it was a lot of just, you know, you come out of the draft and it's like, man, this depleted roster added some nice depth pieces, but that's about it. If Bill Be- Bill Belichick could do that again, in the pit, but I think he's going to be aggressive in this one. This could be the time they make a move for a QB. Could be. Um, or it might not. I mean, they've been <laughs> aggressive in free agency in a way they haven't before, so at least they have broken the precedent. Also, the, the draft that they had last year is an awful lot like the free agency that the Houston Texans just had under Nick Casario. Very underwhelming, understated, m- like moves that don't excite – but potentially, I mean, potentially move the needle in terms of maybe we just upgraded spots 30 through 53 on the roster, and that might actually change things more than you think it does because all you're focused on is the actual, is like the top 22 guys. But when you, maybe it is the depth pieces that actually, you know, make a, a giant sea change more than people expect. I did not adjust my mic that many times, guys. Come on. Um, They're calling me out again. But yeah, maybe, so maybe Bill Belichick, liberated from the influence of Gazario, is actually just just goes nuts, like lets it rip, fires all the money at free agents, fires all the draft picks wherever he wants to go. Like Bill's just going to go crazy and, and draft who he wants this time. But yeah, it is. I think they they didn't either they didn't like the quarterbacks last year or didn't fancy the deal that it would take to acquire one of them, and kind of decided to just pass to just punt on that year and cam newton comes in as a sort of last minute uh safety valve that doesn't go that great they've decided to re-up that this year clearly jared stidham isn't any kind of future there so they've really reached a point where it's it's a pretty tough sell to go back into this season with nothing other than stidham and cam newton again like and they've they've kind of exhausted the available quarterbacks before the draft so really you're left now with do they make some massively aggressive move to go get the third, fourth, or fifth quarterback in the draft, the fourth or fifth quarterback in the draft, or are they just stuck with it again? Yeah, I think – do you think they they, they were going to make a move? I, I thought they were primed to make a move, and then did San Francisco essentially kill two birds with one stone, which was we leapfrog anywhere – no, we leapfrog, but we take away the Patriots' option of trading up and also make Jimmy Garoppolo available. Do we, I mean, do we come out of draft night with the Patriots saying, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's an upgrade over Cam Newton. He knows the system. He's got some weapons to throw to. All right, we're good with him. And Cam Newton's our backup, which is, you know, that's your Jimmy G insurance because the guy's played 48% of starts over the last three years. Is yeah. that the move, or is it... Belichick, they, they want a fresh start with a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or a Mac Jones. I think there's a very real chance that the Patriots value Jimmy G higher than anybody else in the NFL, given the way that unfolded in terms of him leaving there. Um, and I think there's a very real chance where Denver makes a move on draft night and the Patriots are basically left with one potential first-round quarterback left, and they would need to trade up to get him, probably. And that, depending on who it is, they might just not like the idea of that again. So that leaves you, do we take a second or third round quarterback and hope he can start week one? Or do we make the move for Jimmy G and pay up whatever it is San Francisco's asking for him? I think that's probably the most likely outcome given where they are, which is kind of backed into a corner again. 
So Bill Belichick, one of the most important people in the draft. I I think the Nick Casario part of this is fascinating. And Casario is probably more involved on the pro – he was a pro scouting guy. He's the guy that knows everybody around the NFL. Probably has more influence there than in the draft. But what you saw in free agency was, you know, did Nick Casario – was he the guy holding the credit card? He was thrifty with Houston. Belichick went nuts. The Patriots went nuts in free agency. Are we going to see that same – aggressiveness in the draft to me that's the big story coming out of new england the next few people i want to discuss the gms and and first-time head coaches who have multiple draft picks we i use the phrase reshape the roster a lot around draft time jacksonville jaguars new york jets both teams have a chance to completely shake up their rosters joe douglas and robert sala with the jets trent balky and urban meyer with the jaguars uh, we'll talk about Chris Greer and the Dolphins too, but what are your thoughts on the Jags, the Jets, and you know, fill in all the various needs that they have? Well, Douglas, I think this is this is going to be his franchise defining or his tenure defining draft. Um, he came in the, the Sam Darnold was the last one, right? They take a quarterback at the top; it hasn't worked out. Darnold's now been traded away. Douglas has come in, made a lot of moves to try and uh, fix that roster, and not, I mean. A lot of them haven't worked out. I mean, he's hit on some as well. He hasn't done a bad job. But a lot of those moves, particularly on the offensive line, have yet to pay dividends. Now he has essentially a franchise-defining decision, which sounds like it's already made in terms of Zach Wilson as the guy. So that evaluation, effectively, is going to determine that future pairing in, in New York. Did they get it right? Is Zach Wilson the next franchise quarterback? Is he potentially even better than Trevor Lawrence, the way some people are saying, or is he the next Sam Darnold and it's just going to flame out and they blew it again and they're still the Jets. That's essentially the decision that he's made, presumably already. Do you think it's definitely Zach Wilson for them? Is there any... It sounds like it. It sounds sounds pretty locked in there. But they have have the two first-rounders, just like the Jaguars, and so many needs across that roster. The Jets, they they did do a nice job bringing in some wide receiver talent this offseason. That's where they've been because they have to – they just have to do a better job than what they did around Sam Darnold, right? I mean, when you – when they when the Jets draft Sam Darnold in 2018, let's just go back for a minute here. Darnold, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen all stepped into three of the worst situations in the NFL. The Cardinals in 2018, probably the worst situation in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Worst offensive line, worst group of receivers. The Jets and the Bills weren't far behind. The Cardinals – got better, added Cliff Kingsbury, and got rid of Rose and brought in Kyler Murray. The Bills went like PFF-driven playbook, everything that we would do. Got crept back toward average on the offensive line, got a bunch of playmakers, Josh Allen's an MVP candidate. The Jets, they tried a little bit, but their offensive line and receiver talent is just as bad now as it was three years ago. Until this offseason, you know, add Corey Davis in there, there are better pieces there but they still have more work to do. So I want to see where do they go. More offensive line help, more receiver help, but perhaps most important is cornerback and a whole new system for the Jets. And they have the draft capital to make that happen, but I think a lot of those picks are absolutely crucial. Yeah, but none of that moves the needle as much as getting the right or wrong quarterback. I mean, that that's going to be the thing that defines them going forward. So you're coming out of this saying, okay, the Zach Wilson decision at two supersedes all of their extra draft picks and everything. Yep. Okay, then. What about the Jags? 
So we assume the decision's been made for them. Yeah. So Trent Baalke and, and Urban Meyer. And you can question if it was ever even a decision. I mean, that thing's been set in stone since Trevor Lawrence was stepped on a, a college campus. Since he was at, in high school, right. really. Like, it didn't, all they had to do essentially was just verify the information at hand as soon as they got locked in the number one overall pick, and that probably didn't take that long. So, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know that you can call that a decision the way it is for the Jets and, and Zach Wilson behind them and San Francisco at three. The Jags are just taking the guy that is number one. Um, the rest of it, though, is, yeah, now they need to build a thing around him. Now they need to prevent him from just being Andrew Luck and trying to drag a bad team to the postseason multiple times. They actually need to give him something to play with. Uh, going back to the Andrew Luck comparison, in 2012, the Colts had four picks in the top 100. The first pick overall was Andrew Luck. Then they got three weapons for Andrew Luck, which looked, I thought it was awesome on paper. And it did, I think a lot of it did pay off, but maybe not to the extent that they had hoped. Kobe Fleener was their first pick after Andrew Luck, tight end. Then Dwayne Allen, another tight end who was better as a rookie than he was any other time in his career. Mm. And then T.Y. Hilton at 92 overall, wide receiver. So the Colts went in and now you would say, hey, where are, the, where are all the offensive linemen? And that's a good question because that was the question for much of Luck's tenure until 2016, really. Fleener... Allen and Hilton so they went tight ends and receivers the Jags I don't think need to force it that badly they have they already have a decent receiving core you bring in Marvin Jones to LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark tight end is definitely a place that the Jags could go and then another team that could add more corner depth even though they made some moves in free agency and I think they need to have a plan along the offensive line Cam Robinson on the franchise tag but I, I can't wait to see where the Jags go with four, they have five picks in the top 65. They have tw uh, after number one, 25, 33, 45, and 65. This is franchise defining for the Jags. Not only Trevor Lawrence, but four more picks in the next 64. That is, that is huge. That could be the biggest story coming out of this. It's, yeah, it, it's a huge opportunity for them. I, I think all it does is essentially, I don't think it necessarily determines um how good trevor lawrence will be or how uh how good the team can be what i think it does is determine how fast it's going to take so you take in trevor lawrence you think that's the quarterback that's going to be your future what the rest of the picks can do is accelerate or decelerate that process if you nail on two or three of those guys and you found a couple of uh, great pieces to put around him a couple of weapons maybe some offensive line help suddenly that could come together really fast and you could end up with Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback being good, you know, one, two years into this thing and, and away you go. If they miss and if, you know, all they get is Trevor Lawrence and they didn't help him out with the rest of it, it doesn't mean they, they won't be good. It just means that, you, you know, you wasted a year. It's going to take a bit longer. You're going to have to come back and swing at it again in 2022. Um, and it's just, it's just delayed the process. Okay, the other crucial decision-maker in this draft, Chris Greer, Miami Dolphins. They have been setting this up for a while, right? We thought they were tanking a couple of years ago for Trevor and the whole thing. Turns out they got Tua last year, and we'll talk about that, I think, when we get into some of the retrospective look at recent drafts. But the Dolphins have 6, 18, 36, and 50. Four in the top 50, five in the top 81. 
and they've already done a great job reshaking their secondary, adding Will Fuller to Devontae Parker at receiver, but you know, Fuller's only just on a one-year deal. They invested a ton in the offensive line last year. I don't know if they'll go back that way, but defensive line can use some help. The Dolphins, with all of these picks and rallying around Tua as their guy, Chris Greer, is one of the most important people in this draft. Yeah, they, they have a phenomenal opportunity to be a very good team for a, a while if they're right and Tua is the guy, um, which you know that they've made a fairly, I think, definitive statement in that when they made the trade to go back in the draft. Um, they're building around him. They've got the ammunition to do it. They have future ammunition as well with uh, picks next year. This is a time for them to have you know to make it to take advantage of that and really catapult themselves into somewhere very good. This was a team that was arguably a playoff caliber team last year. They they were in it until week seventeen, um, and that was with a rookie Tua that was playing underwhelming enough to be benched a couple of times for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now the training wheels on him are off. They you know they think they're that level of team again, and they have all these picks still to come to add pieces to it. So get him receiver help. I know they added um, some guys in, in free agency. You bring in a Will Fuller. You have, uh, you've got talent there, but you can keep hammering and you can get a Devontae Smith or you can get a whoever it is. And, and again, it's a, you could accelerate the process. You're already in a much better situation than Jacksonville is, but you can make this a very good team in a short space of time. I've decided to just go to the PFF Mock Draft Simulator, which I suggest you should do as well, pff.com. Coming soon to a big website near you. I don't know if that's been announced yet, but the Mock Draft Sim is going beyond just pff.com very shortly. Just playing around with what the Dolphins could do. I just got Jamar Chase at 6. Patrick Sertan in this particular iteration was there at 18. And I pounced it on that potential offer. I don't know if that's going to happen realistically, but... That, you never know how players are going to fall. Patrick Sertan was there. Elijah Moore was there, top of the second round. So you can get an impact receiver, an impact corner, as more just insurance for Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, and another and Jamar Chase, the impact receiver. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless here for the Dolphins. So not a lot of pressure on Chris Greer. An exciting time for Chris Greer to continue to take this roster to the next level. They, yeah, I mean, you, we talk about draft uh draft picks being lottery tickets they just have more chances at this raffle than than most teams and they're already in a pretty good spot so they they are just in this fantastic position right now where they have a bunch of tickets to this raffle and it could it could make them just so much better it could make them a really good team and a, a contender next year again all contingent on to actually taking that step forward and being the guy that they think he is. I got Jason Oway, actually. That's what it was. Jamar Chase, receiver. Patrick Sertan, corner. Jason Oway at 36, edge. Javon Holland, safety slash corner. So, And then Kendrick Green, a, a guard at 81. Man, the possibilities are endless for the Dolphins. I love it. Um, other important people. Do you have any other names you wanted to add to the list here? I most think Justin Fields is one of the most important people in this draft. Um because there's this sort of referendum on Justin Fields as a prospect right now. He went from um, he went from a lot of people saying, "Well, look, Trevor Lawrence is number one, but don't sleep on the idea Fields could be the number one overall pick." To Fields might slide like way down the first round without doing anything wrong. 
Like, nothing changed. He came back, played, orchestrated, was instrumental in them actually playing. You know, was one of the people leading the charge to be like, we want to play the game in the midst of this COVID stuff. Um, Had a phenomenal, like, storied game in the college football playoffs against Clemson, against Trevor Lawrence, beats him. Um, All right, comes up one short in the national title game against an Alabama juggernaut. But the point is, Fields didn't really do anything wrong between the period where people were saying he might actually be the number one pick over Trevor Lawrence, and now where he, where other people or the same people are saying the dude might slide to like midway in the first round. So yeah, I, I view it slightly differently because I think before he had that incredible game by Clems against Clemson, Fields was losing steam. I think in a lot of people's minds, his worst games were Indiana and then the Northwestern Big Ten championship game in the dome. And I think those two games soured people on fields. Then he comes out in the Clemson game and just rips it up. I mean, I, I, had, I had watched every one of his throws just before the Clemson game, and I had some opinions on him, and I was like, okay, the Clemson game, in, in a one-game setting, a big game, but a one-game setting, he answered a lot of them in that game. And so then it's a matter of how do you weigh the same thing we always say, the can-do, which he showed, versus the, the how-often. So I think the how often is still sticking in people's minds, but I thought the Clemson game as far as showing what Fields is capable of, plus the toughness and a lot of that stuff that does matter, that's tough to quantify, like playing with broken ribs and the whole deal, I thought that was going to help him Mm. a little bit more. But I think people are still hanging on some of those poor games earlier. Yeah, and they're a really small number of poor games, particularly when you start expanding the sample size throughout his college career. Like the, the guy has not had many below average performances um which is kind of relevant particularly when you then come and show a game like that Clemson game at the very end I my, the point generally though is that like his uh, range of um analysis right now is is massively wide there are people that say he's the second best quarterback in the draft still and then there are people that are like I wouldn't touch this guy until midway through the first round because of that and because of where he could potentially have gone uh, and may still go, he's going to be a massively important player. Like if he gets, if he does slide and turns out he's as good as everyone thought he was when they were saying he might be better than Trevor Lawrence, that is a, that's one we're going to look back on and say, that's your Patrick Mahomes. You know, you blew it. Somebody's going to have picked a quarterback before him who won't be that. And you're going to look like an idiot. You're going to look like the Chicago bears when they drafted Trubisky um, or if it goes the other way around, if he does go at number three uh, to the 49ers and actually everybody that's, that was concerned about um, his play and the, the Northwestern game and some of the bad things and he just doesn't work out and now Shanahan traded three first-round picks for a guy that isn't any good, either way, like there's a potential for either way, either one of those things to happen and Justin Fields to be the guy we remember from this draft in five years' time. Situation just matters so much, doesn't it? I mean, Mahomes goes to Kansas City, chances are he could still become Mahomes. But, man, there is not a better spot than going with Andy, you know, to Andy Reid. Um, I want to talk about that in a minute. Deshaun Watson's situation in Houston, even though Bill O'Brien, I don't think they, – they didn't do a good job building a team around him. They had talented playmakers for him to throw to. That wasn't bad. And then Trubisky goes through two different coaches. He ended up having a good situation and just didn't end up panning out at all. So – field situation is going to be interesting because I think at three or four if the Falcons decided to take him I think both of those situations are really good for Justin Fields 
or the rumors that the Patriots are coming up to get him. If he goes to New England to back up Cam Newton initially and eventually take over and be in that environment, I think that would be awesome for Fields. So landing spot's going to be huge. It's and interesting. For a guy like Fields, the teams that do – the teams that have a realistic shot of taking a quarterback where he's probably going to go. and Not even where he's – so after the draft starts at three, the teams that are potentially likely to take a quarterback – San Francisco, obviously, at three. Denver, um, I don't think Carolina are still in the market. Detroit are the wild card. They could. Um, and New England. So, essentially, San Francisco, Denver, and New England are all pretty good spots for a quarterback to land right now. Like, you wouldn't be upset going to any of those teams yeah. in terms of what you're presented with. Denver, I think, is literally a quarterback away from having an amazing offense. New England will be putting you in this system that's now running two tight end heavy stuff with a very good capable scheme i mean it we'll see how it works out in terms of what they've added at receiver but potentially that's that's quite a nice spot and then obviously san francisco is right up there with uh andy reed in kansas city as being the best landing spot for a quarterback anywhere so if you're justin fields and you're like well these are the options that might grab me like it's, it's a pretty good place to be, actually, even if you end up slipping in the draft and you go to one of those teams at, you know, seven, eight, whatever. The only one you don't want to end up is Detroit, where you have no receivers to throw to and a guy who likes knee biting. So, but that, <laughs> stop, stop. I mean, look. We don't know. We don't know where Dan's going with the Lions. The, that's the interesting thing, because even Jacksonville at one and the Jets at two, in theory, the situation's not that bad because of all the draft capital. And you at least feel like, hey, you got Urban Meyer there, you got Robert Sala, you you'd, got a fresh if you're situation. Fields, though, you'd rather go to any of the teams I just mentioned. Oh, I agree. Other than those two. But that's what I think is fascinating about this draft because you know, even Joe Burrow last year, he goes to Cincinnati and it's like, all right, it's going to take a couple years to get there. When Dwayne Haskins goes to Washington a couple years ago or Daniel Jones goes to the Giants, ah, it's going to take some time, right? There's a lot of situations where the quarterback can step right in to a good situation, as you just outlined, and that is not common with the NFL draft. I mentioned 2018, three out of the five first-round quarterbacks stepped into horrible situations, yeah. horrible situations, and some got better and some didn't, and that was may have been defining, but it was at least impactful on Darnold, Rosen, and Josh Allen. And it, but it does really set up this idea of Justin Fields, you know, proving everybody wrong right Justin Field the Justin Fields revenge tour year one where we just he slides a little bit in the draft for some reason everybody got enamored with Mac Jones and Trey Lance and Justin Fields was the guy that missed out he winds up going to one of these good situations and immediately looks like the best of the three you know take maybe even the best of the five right off the bat and everyone's like oh wow we, we blew that one but maybe the the actuality of it is we just undersold the impact of environment around the quarterback that he goes to. I don't want to wrap up the most important people of the 2021 NFL draft unless you have other people to add to the mix. I want to wrap it up with Mike Mayock and John Gruden, uh, the Raiders decision makers. And this might be what I reference when I talk about the most important events of previous drafts when we get there. But Mayock and Gruden, it's a pretty pivotal draft for them. It's their, what, Mayock's third year here, Gruden's fourth, and they've had, they, where they had all those draft picks from the Khalil Mack trade and all this stuff. And the Raiders are sitting there. They've been a 7-9, 8-8 type of team. It's a pivotal point in John Gruden's 10-year contract here for the Raiders. They pretty much have to get things right at some point here when it comes to draft picks. <laughs> Do they, though? 
Like, how long can he go through the ten-year contract and still not get things? Well, then right? does May- does Mayock? Maybe I, I don't know what the power struggle is there, but you have to have. They just have to have an impactful draft. I think. I yeah. mean, yeah, sure, Gruden might just have a free four more years on his contract before they could bail. Yeah, I don't know, but feels like it's a pretty important time for the Raiders here. What a contract! God, you gotta love those ten-year guaranteed deals. Um, Dude, yeah. Don't you have one of those with no, us? No, you don't have that. No, I don't. Um, Not even as a PFF Hall of Famer. They don't, no, that doesn't it turns happen. out it doesn't come with one. It you should, really should. We should suggest that. We, we should it, suggest that. Is there the, a suggestion box in the, uh, the Hall of Fame Slack? Um, do we get a free ten year? Let me let me slack it in here right now. No, I agree. It's a it's a fairly pivotal draft for that Raiders team because they've been they haven't been bad. It's not like this thing has been a complete train wreck. They've been actually succeeding in way in spite of the fact that a lot of those moves, um, a lot of those personnel decisions they've made have not gone well. Uh, and that's kind of remarkable. But at some point, particularly in a division with Kansas City, and now if the Chargers are going somewhere with, with Justin Herbert, they're actually going to realize their potential. And maybe Denver, if they find a quarterback, can get their crap together. Suddenly, if you're the Raiders, you're the doorstop again, unless you figure out a way of adding some talent to your roster, which they've had ample opportunity to. They just haven't successfully done it yet. Yeah, it- even like what they lost last year to go seven and nine, I was like, if they go eight and eight, it looks like they're continuing to get better every year. Uh, it is look, I think it's just it's an important year for the Raiders in general. So I want to see what they do, what their moves are. They've been generally picking players from Clemson and Alabama, and you know, top uh, top schools, teams from the national title game, and the whole deal. So we'll see where they end up going here. What? Do you have any other people that you wanted to add to the mix there? I think that's good. Okay. I, I wanted to look backwards here because there, it's fun because it just shows what's going to happen on draft night and how, you know, a couple decisions here are going to reshape the future of the NFL. So over the last five years, let's go starting in 2016. The most – pull up the draft. The most important thing that happened in the 2016 NFL draft – I think there, there's two that stand out, but I'm a star. I'm, I'll, I'll just identify the Dallas Cowboys. Everything that happened with the Dallas Cowboys was the most insignificant part of the 2016 draft. They chose Zeke at four with Jalen Ramsey on the board, who went at five. So they went running back four, one of the best corners in the league, goes off the board at five to the Jags, and then tried to trade up for Paxton Lynch, lost out to the Denver Broncos, who went up and got Paxton Lynch, and instead, the Cowboys stumbled into Dak Prescott. So I think that sequence from the Cowboys, the most important part of that entire draft. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, just generally, the whole Dak Prescott dynamic is, you know, everybody was, it was Jared Goff or Carson Wentz at the top. Which one is the, which one is the guy? Um, if you didn't get one of those, okay, now you're going the bottom of the first round. Maybe Paxton Lynch can be the guy. Uh, and then, real, uh, you know, Christian Hackenberg, the second rounder for for somebody, um, and then all the way all the way along, Dak Prescott just toiling away in the fourth round in obscurity. Nobody thought of him as a franchise quarterback. Ends up being the best quarterback of that draft. The only one that hasn't been a regret so far. Like Paxton Lynch didn't last long before they punted him. Christian Hackenberg was a disaster before he set foot anywhere. Um, the both teams with one and two, Goff and Wentz, have moved on. Dak's the only guy. 
and that wasn't always clear as day. I've been saying this for a while too. Goff, Wentz, and Dak, I think highlight just the cyclical nature or the roller coaster ride that is quarterback evaluation. Dak was the best quarterback in 2016 as rookies. In 17, it was Wentz. In 18, it was Goff. In 19, I think it was Dak again. And then Dak kind of took off, right? He became the best quarterback in that class for sure. But it wasn't clearly defined the entire time. No, but he's also, Dak's also the one guy that hasn't been bad at any point. Like, True. Dak has been various shades of good or above average to excellent at a time. Wentz and Goff have each had periods of just abysmal play. Now they've come in different times and they've offset them to varying degrees with higher end play. Um, but like Dak is, Dak's become, not only was he, it's so bizarre because that was one of those ones where, look, fourth round pick as a quarterback, you don't have tremendous opportunity to win a starting job. It's not easy. Like you're, you're an afterthought. You're buried. Immediately, it was clear that this guy was going to win the starting gig, like very quickly. Um, and then he's justified that from day one. Like at no point was Dak ever in danger of like relinquishing that starting job. So it's like, no, we everybody missed on that one. Dak's a starting quarterback. Now he's a franchise guy. Now he's going to the moon. Um, whereas the other guys, like, well, we were almost giving up on golf after year one because it was such a nightmare. It was really bad. Year um, one. Wentz looked phenomenal right off the bat, but it was a bit more or looked a bit better than it actually was. Then 2017 was that amazing MVP caliber year, and then his wheel started to fall off once he got injured. But Dak is the one guy where just from day one, it was like we blew this to the tune of four rounds and should have been the number one overall pick. And at no point has he ever come close to, like, backing away from that. The funny thing is, I don't know if Dallas, until they saw Dak in preseason games, I don't think they knew what they really had. Because all the reports coming out is he wasn't a great practice player. And, they, you know, Romo was coming off of injury that year. And they were still kind of expecting Romo to – hoping to him for him to be the guy in 2016. And then Dak was just – what that first preseason game, you you just looked good. Yeah, I think it was against Goff and the Rams too. And it was amazing how quickly again, like not only are you giving turning the keys over to a fourth round rookie quarterback, but you're turning you're essentially ushering Tony Romo into retirement to do that. Like you had this beloved quarterback that the franchise has been hanging on for a decade, and it's like not only are you handing it to the, to a guy as unheralded as Dak, but you're you're shuffling off a franchise legend to make it happen. Like, that was a seismic decision for Dallas and one that they made very quickly with very little hesitancy. That's how, like, clear it was. And the one thing I'd push back on from you is there wasn't a point that Dak was going to lose his job, but in 2017 and 18, by our grades, he regressed a little bit. He was closer to QB 15 to 20 than he was a top 10 quarterback. Getting Amari Cooper into the mix completely changed his statistical profile though and that may, and he has become one of the better s statistical quarterbacks over that time and he's and he's gotten better and played like a top eight to ten quarterback Dak um since Amari Cooper showed up but there was a point where he regressed at least a little bit and again that's why I said Carson Wentz and Jared Goff may have jumped him a little bit during a, a short period of time in 17 and 18 but Dak has emerged as the top quarterback there the other thing that happened in the 2016 NFL draft that had ridiculous fallout is the Larry Tunsil face mask incident. We covered this a few weeks ago. 
four first rounders and two second rounders and third round, the seven or eight ridiculous draft picks that the Miami Dolphins have gotten out of Laramie Tunsil all because he falls to 13 in the draft because as the draft starts, the face mask incident. Remember that when that happened, how crazy that was, like live yeah. watching that? But the and it was it was crazy just to have, okay, this top ten caliber guy drops to thirteen and the Dolphins take him. But then seeing what they spun him into, it's it's still shaping the Dolphins right now. It's not just shaping the Dolphins, it's shaping everything. I mean, the the Laramie Tunsil like that video is the classic butterfly effect thing where that the ramifications of that Tunsil video are insane when you look at what it's been parlayed into. That is determining the future of the San Francisco 49ers right now. Like, yeah. that's where they ended up, right? They've traded to number three, which should have been Houston's pick, but it's Miami's pick because of the Laramie Tunsil trade, which Miami only had because of the gas mask thing. So the Laramie Tunsil getting, um, like, I don't know, what do you, blackmail? What is the extorted? What just sabotaged yeah. on draft night with a gas mask video is going to determine the future of the San Francisco 49ers from years 2021 on over the next few years. <laughs> yeah. In addition Dolphins, to a bunch the, of other the things. Texans. I, yeah. It's unbelievable. So that, I mean, that might be really the biggest story in 2016, but as far as decisions teams made in the whole thing, I, the, the Dallas thing is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, Coming out of the 2016, it should be remembered for two things. One, that Dak Prescott, not the guys that went one and two, was the best quarterback from that draft, which is just a fascinating cautionary tale in this time where we're all saying Trevor Lawrence is clear number one, Zach Wilson is number two, then there's three more guys in the first round. I mean, sure, probably, but on the other hand, it might be some dude buried in the fifth round that nobody's talking about that ends up being the best quarterback of this draft class. You never know. You never know. And then the other being the Laramie Tunsil thing, which is like literally <laughs> defining half of the NFL right now, five years on. And, and the, the, fourth, the third or fourth round quarterback becoming really good happens every four or five years now. Russell Wilson was 2012. Dak Prescott was 2016. Are we due for that next? Is this Davis Mills or Kellen Mond's year in, years, in, in rounds three or four? Davis Mills might be going to the first round. He's getting – there is the annual – big armed pocket passer first round rumor i mean it's it is like clockwork mike glennon uh what's the guy uh davis just uh, lost his name now yeah the cal davis guy. webb davis webb yeah, yeah. from texas tech then cal i mean every year there is a guy that's just going to randomly get his first round hype right now it's davis mills so that was 2016 2017 most important thing that happened in the draft obviously it's the quarterbacks but Chiefs trading up to number 10 to get Patrick Mahomes. It's that plus what, Trubisky at three? Yeah, it's definitely the Trubisky thing. Um, now you can also make a case that, hey, look, Cleveland Cleveland decided Miles Garrett was the best player in this draft and that they didn't love the quarterbacks enough to draft one at number one overall. Um, they ended up waiting a year, getting Baker Mayfield at the top of that draft, but Cleveland had a shot at Patrick Mahomes. Cleveland had a shot at... Um, Okay, you know, Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson thing. As a quarterback, Cleveland had a shot at Deshaun Watson. Um, instead, they took Miles Garrett. You can't say it didn't work out in terms of, look, Miles Garrett, one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. They got Baker Mayfield the year after. They're still good, and right now they're a playoff team and they're moving in the right direction. But 
that decision-making was a conscious choice that, that Patrick Mahomes was not worthy of the number one overall pick, um, which wasn't revolutionary. wasn't even a, a – I think it was a majority opinion at that point. But it's still a fairly significant decision when you look at what Patrick Mahomes has become. But then obviously the Bears is the much bigger one because they were always in on a quarterback. Not only did they choose the one out of the top three that turned out to be crappy – but they traded up for no good reason at all to do it. Um, the 49ers managed to sucker them into jumping up one extra spot. From three to two. Yeah, and give up a lot to do it um, for literally no good reason. Uh, the 49ers draft, they made a balls out of the, the draft after that. They drafted Solomon Thomas at number three, and then didn't they get uh, Reuben Foster at 31, neither of whom worked out for different reasons, but they – played the bears for suckers i think that's a good point though too because we're part of the reason why we can be so encouraged for the jaguars and the jets is because we know that they're going to get one of the their top two choices at quarterback trevor lawrence and zach wilson presumably and then they have all this other draft capital to build around them the thing that went wrong in houston around deshaun watson before the off-field stuff is that the roster fell apart because they traded up to get him and didn't and then they just kept you know, hemorrhaging draft capital over the next few years with Jadavian Clowney and the Laramie Tunsil thing, as we said. Patrick Mahomes was able to overcome that with Kansas City, but the Bears are still working from behind. The trade up with Trubisky, they lost a few draft picks. The trade for Khalil Mack, they made such investments as essentially in Trubisky and Khalil Mack that they couldn't keep their, they kept a pretty good roster around them, but then couldn't take it to the next level. So having that quarterback plus the ability to build around them is crucial. So the Trubisky move was significant. And then I, I have to go with Mahomes, though. I mean, that was that was NFL defining and NFL changing for the Chiefs, obviously. The Chiefs go from a team that can't win a playoff game you know, to a team that just is expected to be in the Super Bowl every single year. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was NFL defining for everybody, right? Because anyone that needed a quarterback had the opportunity to snag Patrick Mahomes and teams passed on him and then the Chiefs went up and got him. Um, so Cleveland didn't take Patrick Mahomes. They could have had him. Chicago didn't take Patrick Mahomes. They could have had him and traded up to take Trubisky instead. Um, yeah, so the, the Patrick, Patrick Mahomes is the story out of that draft. It's the team that got him, went up and, and traded for him, and the teams that decided that Patrick Mahomes was not going to become Patrick Mahomes and didn't. What about the fact that the New Orleans Saints were rumored to be trying to get to number 11 yeah. to get Patrick Mahomes? How would that change the course of the NFL if Pat Mahomes was in Nolens with Sean Payton. I mean, it would have made that. He probably sits for a year, right? First year, the same way he did in Kansas City. Sits for a year behind Drew Brees. Um, and then the 2018 season, Drew Brees gets moved on. Probably doesn't retire. Probably goes for one last revenge tour somewhere. So some team gets a year maybe out of, of not peak, but a year out of high-end revenge motivated Drew Brees at the ass end of his career one of those teams that's you know desperately searching for a quarterback maybe in 2018 so maybe at the top of the draft um you know the New York Giants draft Saquon Barkley still but now they got Drew Brees at quarterback now that would be that would be something that right. would be absolutely that you know we, we would yeah you know, we wouldn't have the the tamest stuff going on right now Brees going out somewhere else the whole thing would be incredible that's uh, one of those ones though i like where you know every year you hear this like oh we had that guy as our number one quarterback that year you're like well <laughs> or 
or we had that guy as like the best quarterback grade we've ever given to somebody. Well, then why didn't you go get him? If he was that good in your eyes, why didn't you go aggressively looking for him? This is one where you can actually trace it back and say, oh, they did. They did say They that, had Drew Brees right. still. They thought that Patrick Mahomes was genuinely like generationally great, and they were trying to go up and get him and just got beaten to it by the Chiefs. But they at least were prepared to put their money where their mouth was in terms of their opinion on it. That's why when you talk about, I, I always say getting into the mind of some of the smartest NFL people. In that particular year, Andy Reid and the Chiefs, you know, great quarterback developer, and Sean Payton of the Saints both saw the same thing in yeah. Patrick Mahomes. So, man, what did we uh, – we should have all – I think we all saw it. We just didn't know – Yes. Just playing the percentages that he was, was going to get there. We saw the special. Everybody saw the special. Well, it, that, but there was – the negatives just historically hadn't become positives the way Patrick Mahomes has made them. That's the problem Anytime one of the sort of – tools or one of the high-end you know high ceiling guys but raw quarterbacks works out is that I mean it's easy for people to look at those guys and go well he's going to be a superstar look at all what he can do because can do is never the difficult thing to, to spot like it's it's pretty obvious when a guy can do special things the question is again it's it's how often and what else happens now with Mahomes his biggest concerns were well the, the can do is spectacular but the guy does not play within the structure of the offense at Texas Tech. Now, that's not to say he can't, but you can't just project and assume he can because that doesn't always work. So the, with Mahomes, I think there was a very real question about what he could do within a conventional NFL offense and how that would work. Now, obviously, the questions have been answered subsequently, but I don't think you can look back and revise history and say at the time, oh, we should have just given him a pass and assumed it could work. Because I, I don't think that's good process either. All right, let's go to the 2018 NFL draft. The most significant moves. Baker Mayfield goes number one. Saquon Barkley goes number two. Sam Darnold's number three. I think the most significant move, though, is the Bills going to get Josh Allen at number seven. What are your thoughts? This draft, what was the most impactful move from this draft? I mean, to me, it, it, it really is just this entire group of quarterbacks has always been fascinatingly linked together um, and even now years on like the only one that is has sort of dropped out of that group is Josh Rosen who was just immediately hideous situation another hideous situation and then okay we're done with you as a league now bye-bye like you might be able to sit on somebody's practice squad for a while but your time here is done um, but the rest of them are still very much like tied together I mean Baker Mayfield has bounced up and down now looks reasonably good Darnold has been a, a disappointment, has now traded to a team that believes it was all the team. Um, Josh Allen has gone from strength to strength after starting off slow once the, the team was built around him and now looks the best of the group. And then Lamar Jackson at the, the bottom of the first round was the guy that you know had the special ability, but again, questions about what that needed to look like at the NFL level, became an MVP and has sort of tailed off a little bit. But just the whole quarterback group, I think, is still tied to each other, and it's still an open question. We've seen each of them, um, other than, you know, you've got Darnold, who's the one that hasn't gone well, but a team has just traded significant capital for believing he still has it in him. And then the other three have all had a season where they were the best guy. Yeah, and so I'm saying Josh Allen's the most important one. Maybe it's Lamar too i mean lamar and allen as far as like decisions go the bills went and got josh allen 
the Ravens came back up to get Lamar Jackson. And let's reiterate the point and how difficult this whole thing is. People are going to look – I mean, it's easy to look at all the teams that would love to have Lamar Jackson who passed on him, but the Ravens also passed on him. Yeah. Much like the Rams passed on Aaron Donald. For a tight end. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the Ravens. They picked a 25-year-old tight end, Hayden Hurst, who's yeah. no longer with the team. Picked him six spots ahead of Lamar Jackson. So, again, it wasn't like this stuff is – And that's close enough – like six spots is close enough where you're not gaming value at that point. You know what I mean? Like you're not oh, going, right. oh, we yeah. think this guy is going to slide another round, so we're not going to jump on it here. We're just going to play the game. We think, you know, we're going to maximize the idea that other people aren't going to pick him for a while. You pick, like six spots ahead is not like screwing around for value. You you didn't think that Lamar Jackson was as good as he turned out, and nobody did really. And this was just three years ago. So let's just and, and this is why I think at PFF we just we just say continue to draft quarterbacks even high. Um, how many teams? that did pass on Lamar Jackson, are sitting here looking for new quarterbacks. Now, Jacksonville is one of the teams. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence, so it's, it's working out for them. New England, just ahead of Lamar. They took a running back, Sony Michelle, ahead of Lamar Jackson. And New England is still sitting there trying to figure out who is their quarterback. Carolina Panthers took T DJ Moore. Now, again, at the time, they had Cam Newton. It's fine, but all the teams that are looking for quarterbacks – if you would just if you just always took quarterbacks, would you just you know just play the odds a little bit better for the next time you need one? It's just an interesting way to to view things here. Even Pittsburgh at twenty eight. I'd never noticed this before about that draft, but I wonder what the record is for most trades or most traded picks in a, a first round because sixteen of the first round picks that year belonged to somebody else. Yeah, this was nuts at the start. This was crazy this whole night. Um, the, I mean, I think ultimately the most important decision was probably Cleveland and Baker Mayfield. They they chose Baker Mayfield as the number one quarterback in that draft, a decision we would have made as well. We thought he was the best quarterback by a reasonable distance in terms of prospects. Um, and now they – I don't think you can definitively say they've been wrong yet. He's had one season where he was. Uh, now Josh Allen is the best guy. Lamar Jackson was the best guy in, in the middle. Um, but that – like that was the decision, right? It's which which of the quarterbacks? They're all tied together. They've all they all bring various different things to the table. Cleveland passed on one the year before to draft Miles Garrett, and at that point, you already knew that at least one of those quarterbacks was really good. Another one was on his way. Um, this was their decision. This was the this was the quarterback to stop the names, right? That jersey with the names that go all the way yeah. to the floor of just all the Browns' disasters since they came back. And it has. Yeah, this, this was the quarterback to stop that trend and just have a guy that's going to be there for a, an extended period of years. This was the first year this past season since, like, the this, like since the, maybe since they came back, where Cleveland have had the same quarterback – head coach and offensive coordinator for two years straight. Crazy. Like two opening days. Um, but that was their decision, Baker Mayfield. So that was an impactful decision, and we have to mention Saquon Barkley at two. Now, here's, here's where I was wrong. I thought the big story coming out of this would be what happened in New York at two and three. Saquon Barkley at yeah. two, Sam Darnold at three. And I thought the Giants were going to be kicking themselves a couple years down the road because, you know, in the same building, Sam Darnold is taking the Jets to the next level. I was wrong on that one. It still doesn't change the fact that Saquon Barkley's not worth it at number two. I thought that would be the biggest story, though, that whole New York 
deal and actually and it's just both ends of sour the Giants haven't gotten better having a running back and the Jets have they just missed on Darnold as a quarterback and it didn't is, build around him it's a perfect cautionary tale for the running back thing though right it's like so many things can go wrong and even if they don't it doesn't make a difference <laughs> like, like Saquon Barkley's been fantastic he's been better than I thought he would be he's at really the NFL good level yeah. and and everybody liked him as a prospect um but it hasn't helped it hasn't really done anything for the Giants and then oh by the way there's also the chance that he gets hurt and you lose him it, like a bigger chance at running back with such an attritional position where you're getting hit every time you touch the ball generally that, than other positions so it's not helping. It's passing up the opportunity to get better in a different way. And even if everything works out, you might lose the guy to injury, and it didn't matter anyway. And then his fifth-year option is going to be crazy money Yeah. when we have to you know, get to that point. How about two more drafts? I just want to go through. 2019. Uh, this is – I think there were two important things here. First off, it was Kyler Murray goes at number one. So the same way you said, hey – Baker Mayfield was the decision at number one, which was a big one for the Browns, and it, and not it wasn't a consensus, right? Trevor Lawrence, we feel, is the consensus. Baker was, we were we we didn't hear that until like the day before the draft or day of the draft, and it was crazy. People couldn't believe Baker was the pick. Now everybody knew Kyler was going to be the pick, but the power move there was they just drafted Josh Rosen the yeah. year before, so I thought that was significant. Teams realizing the value of the quarterback and just saying we're not settling we're not just going to say we have a we have our franchise guy we're going to build around him we want better if it's available but i thought the raiders were the biggest story in 2019 all of the, this was the start of all the khalil mack picks we talked about it so much before the draft franchise defining draft cleland farrell josh jacobs and jonathan abram and at the time we looked at it and said, first off, they took our number five edge off the board. However you want to rank guys, whatever. That's fine. But Cleveland Farrell at four felt like a reach. And then they took a running back. It doesn't matter who it is. They took a running back. Josh Jacobs has been fantastic, but hasn't moved the needle because he's a running back. And then Jonathan Abram, a box safety who they've tried to turn into a free safety so far, who I think will be better this year, playing a box safety role. But man, does that feel like a missed opportunity? I will say... It's early, but that A doesn't look like a very good draft, like just talent-wise coming out of that draft. Yeah. And B, it looks like one of those batshit drafts where the talent, the most talented players generally are coming out of the lower rounds. You know, the ones you – which I think happens when it's not a great draft, right? You look back and you're like all the best players from this, with a few exceptions, are the ones that were drafted in the second, third, fourth round. So – it's easy to look at what the Raiders did and be like, that was ridiculous. That was dumb. But, and so I thought, you know, you'd go, you'd go look back and just immediately through the players immediately after where they drafted, you'd find three superstars and you'd be like, well, this is what they could have had. Look at what they could have had instead, Jim. Um, you can't, AJ Brown. Yeah. One. Like you can do it, <laughs> but it's not as easy as you would think no, it is. No, it's it, yeah. like, you know, immediately after Cleveland Farrell, You've got Devin White, who is a dramatically more hyped player than he is a good player right now. You know, Josh Allen, um, in terms of the edge rusher for Jacksonville. TJ Hawkinson, a tight end. Ed Oliver hasn't really panned out as well. Devin Bush has is, is been injured and hasn't been quite as spectacular. You know, it's Rashawn Gary is an ex-edge rusher off the list. It's like it's not this sequence of players. You're like, well, that's, that's the guy they should have taken, obviously. Um, so, sure, they blew it, but maybe – this wasn't quite as obvious as we thought it would be. Um, I, yeah, I, 
I don't think that Arizona get enough credit for the decision they made to draft Kyla Murray at number one that year. Um, we, in, in our bubble of analytics and being like, well, we think it's a massive upgrade. Of course you make that move. It's, how could you even think about doing anything else? This is not like, I think that was not an easy decision for an NFL institution to make with all the things we know goes in hand in hand with committing to a first round franchise quarterback. You're like, this is a, this, this is what we do as a franchise. We have handed the keys over to Josh Rosen. He's our guy. He's going to be the leader of this team for the next 10 years. He is going to be the face we're building around. And after a year, and right now we're saying it's too soon to give up on Tua. We don't know what he is right now. He's only played 10 games. It hasn't been as good as the other guys, but we don't know. Um, they were essentially in that spot, and they, they made that decision that, you know what? Maybe Josh Rosen can be worked out, but we think that the potential upgrade to Kyler Murray is so big and we're not going to have this opportunity again that we should make that pick. And they, I, I just, I don't think that that, I think when we look back on that, because of the way it's worked out, it gets revised way too often to just, that was a slam dunk decision. Of course they made it. I think that was a big call for that franchise to make. And that's a franchise that hasn't made that many correct big calls over you know the the decade that this happened in i completely agree and and i think the a lot of the analysis coming out of that was so wrong because of how we look at this stuff and 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 i've changed my way i look at the draft it's people came out of that saying man this is embarrassing for steve kime you know he just drafted a quarterback last year now he's got to go to the owner and say you know what i was wrong last year i missed yeah i can't evaluate quarterbacks now we got to go get this next guy the reality of it is Josh Rosen was the fourth quarterback off the board that year yeah okay and it doesn't matter whether you liked him or not you got more information and here's the more information you got Josh Rosen struggled in a terrible situation but he struggled and then a Kyler Murray came along and you can evaluate both side by side and say Kyler Murray's better and I and I and if you if teams look at this and this is why the Dolphins should have been considering a quarterback at three. And remember, by the way, when they picked Josh Rosen as the fourth quarterback that year, people didn't think that Kyler Murray was going to be in the draft next year. He was going to baseball. He was he he's had his. He had also never played good right. college football. But even like midway, like the, when you looked at the potential quarterbacks in the future, right. right? Kyler Murray was not on your table. Your your options the following year were going to be. Daniel Jones, they were going to like, who the hell else was a quarterback in there this There were class? no options. That's what I mean. So, of course, like... It they, looked terrible. They had to grab a quarterback that year yeah. because there wasn't this option of next year, if we're a disaster next year as well, we're going to pick at the top and there'll be a group of quarterbacks who... Like, this did not look like a, a, a nice place to be from the quarterback spot. And then Kyler Murray reverses course on his baseball career. No, I'm not going to go to the Angels or wherever he was playing. Who was it? No, the A's. Good job. And you began with an A. Some, you knew it was the AL West. I knew it was an A team. You began with an A. That's <laughs> what I was working American with. American League West. I even knew it was like a green color, right? Not even. No. Angels are red. What? No, that's what I mean. The A's are green, right? Oh, you knew green. it was green. And yeah. You just got the I just got name. the wrong I gotcha. name. I got you. Anyway, so Kyler Murray reverses course on his baseball career, enters the draft. Now we've got a number one overall prospect. This is a gift that we didn't expect to be here. So yes. it changes everything. You can't, like, you, you, should, you shouldn't look at it as well, this is just an indictment over last year. It, it's like last year's irrelevant. We didn't expect this to be on the table. Right. This has just arrived 
<laughs> of course we're taking him. Yeah, and so the Cardinals should be commended for that move. I agree. And if you look at things, the, the goal is to find the quarterback. And if you spent a couple picks to go get Josh Rosen, and then you spent a pick to get Kyler Murray, and then you actually got a second rounder in return for Josh Rosen, the net is a win. Yeah. And that's a win by the Arizona Cardinals. Significant move in the 2019 draft. And now we're just a year removed from the 2020 draft last year. And what's the most significant move from last year's draft? I think for me at the moment, it's the Dolphins taking Tua over Justin Herbert. And we would have done the same thing. We thought that was the right move. We still don't know if it's right or wrong. But right now it looks like, man, Justin Herbert was so impressive as a rookie. Tua is coming out with some question marks. It's tough to not play that what-if game. What if the Dolphins had Herbert higher and that would have been a better situation for them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's either it, – it, to me, it's the story of two players who were dramatically better than people thought they were or a lot of people thought they were. Um, Justin Herbert being what it looks like – you know, there was a period a while ago or earlier in his college career where Justin Herbert was supposed to be the number one overall pick, right? Yeah. Joe Burrow hadn't done anything yet. He was that one-season wonder at the end. Uh, it was Herbert. Herbert was the number one presumptive pick, and then his career sort of stagnated and the talent around him disappeared, and he didn't play as well. So Herbert ended up actually being that guy, or at least on the evidence of year one. Um, Burrow kind of backed up his draft status, I think, and then to a struggle compared to the other two. And then the other one was all of the receivers in the first round, and Justin Jefferson turns out to be the guy that's a superstar. Yeah, that's a good one. And again, it's like... It's a little bit Mahomesian in terms of you can go back and look at his college tape and be like, well, how did you screw this up? Look at him. He's amazing. You're like, yeah, but we didn't really know if he could do that at the same time while playing outside against press coverage. And I know he played outside earlier in his career, but he wasn't as good earlier in his career. So you hadn't had the perfect symbiosis of playing outside against press coverage and being dominant at the same time. And when he, was, when he had his great year, of course – um, Jamar Chase was there as well, taking the attention away as the number one overall guy. So, again, it's very easy to look at look at this as with a, a revisionist uh, or through a revisionist prism and say everyone just screwed up Justin Jefferson. Like, of course, he was the number one receiver that year, but I think it was a very real question. And I, I mean, we are seeing this sort of sequence of picks recently where guys that have a question mark about whether they can do something. Like maybe you should start defaulting to the idea that, okay, let's say they can until we see otherwise. The thing about Herbert, though, that I thought was interesting is we just described Josh Rosen. There were a lot of similarities to Herbert and Rosen's career. You talked about Trevor Lawrence stepped on a football field and he was the future number one overall pick. Agreed. I, I thought Andrew Luck had that. He stepped on the field as a redshirt freshman. But that first game, Luck looked like a number one pick. Rosen looked like a number one overall pick his first game. Now, it was against Virginia. Now, his second game, he wasn't good. It was yeah. against UNLV, and that was, tapered off. And But there was a point where Rosen looks like he was going to be the wire-to-wire first-round pick, but he never got better yes. in the Pac-12. Well, Herbert had that same concern, at least from us. Rosen was funny because not only did he never get better, but even that first year wasn't actually that good. It was just that the first game was so good right. that everyone was like, so it's first game was amazing, and then the freshman year overall was you know pretty good. But the pretty good was being dragged up by the amazing first game that you didn't really notice that the rest of it wasn't that great. And then he never got any better than that. And it's like, yeah. 
So, yeah, I, I think last year, I, I like what you're saying, Justin Jefferson being the guy in what looked like a trio of top receivers, maybe Jefferson's the best right now, and the Justin Herbert to a decision by the Dolphins. Um, thought that the Chargers got the raw end of the stick. I think they did too, and then it ends up maybe maybe Herbert ends up being the best out of all these quarterbacks here. So we shall see. A lot of fun. I think, again, it's just, it's fun looking back and seeing a couple decisions changing the course of NFL history. That's what's going to be happening a few weeks from now with the NFL draft. We'll be covering it all, pff.com, streaming it. The boss, Chris Collinsworth, will be a part of it. He's grabbing some of his friends, Richard Sherman, Al Michaels. We'll all be there, the forecast guys, the two-for-one drafts guys, and uh, covering it wall-to-wall here at pff.com. Don't forget to get to Underdog Fantasy, and for just 10 bucks, you can get the PFF Draft Guide as a part of PFF Edge Annual with just a $10 deposit using the promo code PFF over at Underdog Fantasy. That'll do it for us this week. It's the PFF NFL Podcast. We'll be back on Monday. Um, I also want to ask people before you leave, if we did a live mock draft, Sam is scared to death of this idea, a live mock draft on YouTube where we'll actually read the chat in the comments and we'll, we'll, we'll go with like a consensus vote somehow. Are you guys interested in that? So we'll do it live on YouTube, either the Thursday or Friday show next week. Okay. A live mock draft. Yeah. We'll pick the team. We'll get a little wisdom of the crowds or idiocy, idiocy of, idiocy of the crowds. Can't even talk. And we'll we'll see how we do. So let us know if that's something you guys want to do. We'll get thousands. We got thousands of people we want to get in here in the YouTube chat for a live mock draft. I think it's a great idea. Sam hates it, but let's prove him wrong. We can make this thing happen. Sound good? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't okay. sound good at all. But awesome. sure. But maybe we'll do it. Andrew says he's ready. Look at these guys. A lot of yeses. They're excited. Tell your friends. But we have to get five thousand people in here. So you got to everybody. If if all seven hundred people that are in here tell. Uh, how many? Ten people will get there. Everybody tell ten other people live mock draft. We'll land at about 5,000 live watching and we'll, we'll do it. Consensus. All right? Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Be back on Monday and check out Sam's mock draft, pff.com, Monday morning. Wave, Sam. <laughs>